This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome back to the show, Travis. Uh, thank you for having me back on, JD. So how is your book go- doing? Oh, uh, dude, it's killing it. I am actually more than happy. I, I'm elated. Um, it cracked back into the top 100 this last week in two categories. So it's just rolling along. Um, people really seem to be picking out the messages in it and relating with it. So it's very cool. Yeah. No. Um, so can just for those who maybe not have saw your first interview, just tell some people about like My Life with Karma, your book. Okay. So My Life with Karma basically tracks my journey from cop to criminal. Um, it starts with me working dignitary protection for the governor, and then I get involved with opioids after suffering a back injury. So it really shows the sides of what it's like to be a police officer, but then what it's like to be an addict. Um, and that's basically what I'm going to give people to start with. So, yep. And karma is your dog. Yeah. Your dog karma's was, with the rescue you, dog. <laughs> was with you like your whole time. And that's, you know, you told the story and I loved reading about it too. You know, you rescuing that dog, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I think that's amazing. It kind of like now she's rescuing you, you know? Exactly, man. So I think that's, that's awesome. probably one of the coolest parts of the story is the fact that she ended up being the one to rescue me in the long run. And man, I mean, I miss her. I was just thinking about her the other day. I saw a boxer that looked like her and yeah. kind of tripped me up for a second. So but yeah. yeah, man. And Wonderful that's, dog. And, yep. And that kind of, you know, leads me into, you know, holidays you yeah. know, coming up because like grief ties into a lot of our stories, right? And yeah. a lot of the reasons why a lot of us use or drink. And the holidays always bring up memories with certain people and pets and you know, especially people when they are pet people. When, oh, for sure. You know, like obviously, you know, you know, you're a dog person when you write a book and name it after your dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Just a little bit of an indicator there. Yeah. The guy that wrote Marley Me, he wasn't a cat dude. You know, no, not at <laughs> yeah. all. So, you know, that just, it goes right there to tell you, like, that would have memories coming up, you know, just like that's a relationship that you had. And so you have memories. So it's always like triggers. How do you, because this is like your, what, ninth probably holidays um, in sobriety. How do you usually get through those like memories and triggers without having to feel like you need to drink or use them away? Dude, that's a great question. I think accountability partner, like my wife doesn't drink. So right off the bat, 
that's someone I can turn to and she knows like she knows all my inner workings so I really don't have to explain too much to her and I can even if I need to say hey I need a time out for a second like she'll just she understands if I need to walk away um this year it's going to be a little different a lot of my holidays are they're like they're double headers so for example Thanksgiving I've got my wife's 30th birthday too on the same day so that's it could be intense like I don't think we're going to go out but she has younger sisters and they want to do something potentially take her out for her birthday so I don't know um it may be something that I haven't faced in a while like because I don't go out much I just kind of I do my thing and I try to stay clear of places that could potentially trip me up so that yeah, being like, said, we'll yeah, see going that. into like restaurants or people were like getting some drinks back to back, you know, before the meals even show up is a different kind of atmosphere than like going out to dinner with your wife where that's not the reason that you're there. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it right on the head. Like so. just because your sis- your wife doesn't drink doesn't mean your sisters are not going to have a few. Oh, yeah, exactly. And see, I should be like normally I'm totally cool around that like it doesn't matter I've been around other people that have drank the whole thing is when like the the general consensus switches from like okay a party celebrating my wife to now what are we celebrating what are we doing yeah and it's yeah it's almost like they're they're using her birthday as the excuse to get drunk as shit yeah this way they can be at work the next day and be like I can be hung I remember you know, from the drinking and using days, always looking for the excuse to, like, have it work to look like shit. Because I look like shit regardless, right? So on whenever I could use an excuse, I was going to use it. So I'm like, oh, it was, you know, my sister's birthday. So we, we were drinking, you know. So, like, it's almost like you want that excuse whenever you can use it to really, like, dive in. And not to say they're alcoholics, I'm just saying, like, I know what it's like to even just, like, try to drink like a regular person and be able to use that excuse. Oh, yeah, for sure. And see, I've I've done the same thing before. I've tried to just drink, and that doesn't work for me. It, it, it will work a couple times, but eventually it's going to get the best of me. I know that. So I don't even play that game anymore just because it's not yeah. worth rolling the dice. Yeah, I remember the story you told you know, about the one time that you tried to just drink and, you know, ended up (laughs) with a TBI. Yeah. Massive head injury. So, you know, it just, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. It does. Yeah. You've definitely proven that that was what around Halloween 2012. Yeah. Yeah. that, That anniversary just passed. It did. Yeah. And, and I have a track record. Halloween's always been a bad holiday for me. For whatever reason. Yeah, we talked in like August. So how was Halloween for you this year? This year, non-eventful. I mean, I really kind of made sure that I wasn't doing a whole hell of a lot and that I was at home. I was being safe. I didn't have shit around me and there was no way in hell I was going out. So So I I guess you're lucky that your wife's not like one of those like wives that are really because some women are really into Halloween. Oh, yeah. Like, they have to dress up in, you know, couples costumes and all that kind of stuff. So, it sounds like you're pretty fortunate that, you know, if you... I I watch Modern Family, and, you know, Claire is really into Halloween and scaring people and shit and dressing up and doing the whole thing. That would be a really hard relationship for you to be in. Because that's somebody who wants to celebrate every year. 
for sure, man. I would struggle <laughs> with that. Um, I'm fortunate, like I said. I mean, she's my accountability partner, but because she knows me so well, she knows what my little triggers are, and she just helps me avoid them. So it's really awesome to have someone like that in your life where they'll step up to the plate just knowing that, okay, this could be an issue for me and not wanting that to happen. I mean, it's so cool to see that because I don't always have to advocate for myself. You know what I mean? I'm not constantly beating that drum like, hey, I've got to, I can't do this or I don't want to, she'll, she'll just step up and say, no, nah, this year, why don't we do this? Because I know that will be a comfortable situation for both of us. So it's yeah. cool. And you guys have been doing it for a while. So if I'm not mistaken, you like 2014, 13, something like that. Yeah, like, you're right. Yeah, you got, that's because I remember you, you even went to Arizona together, right? And then came back when that, you know, whole thing with you yeah. stealing that painting from the. Yeah, you know. yeah that $100,000 painting that made me so wealthy. Look yeah. out, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. killing it now. And what are, you, what are you about to do with your book now? You're about to do like an author's thing or a new author's thing? Or what so, are you? So, yeah, man, I'm stepping into coaching. Um, with So the program I went through to produce my book, essentially they have cohorts every like around six months. So I'm going to be doing author coaching this next six months, trying to help people get from the creation stage of their book to getting it published. So really looking forward to that. So how does that go? Does somebody like contact you through something? Yeah, basically, um, we're set up on Zoom. So I have an open Zoom calendar and then they sign up through a different program that we use to connect coaches and authors. And pretty much they set their times and say, hey, I want to talk to you about A, B or C and we just roll with it. So uh, OK, so say I'm a new author and I, I want to have some help. How do I get in contact with you to do that? Okay, um, basically, like I said, we have this program we use called Quip. So all the authors in the Creative Institute that I went through have access to Quip. So pretty much they can hop on there, then they can see my calendar and book a Zoom with me. Okay, cool. So that way, if somebody was interested in writing something but didn't know how to do it or you know, didn't know what direction to start or even where to start, but all you have is an idea, and a, yep. and a drive to write it, you know, then they contact you through Quip and then you can do Zoom meetings with them to kind of give them the direction that they're looking for with actually putting together their idea that they have in their head. Yeah, that's exactly it. And just yeah. kind of helping take it from that conceptualization to actualization and get it down on paper and really just start getting these ideas out because there's so many gifted writers that are out there that just don't necessarily know the process. Yeah. So a lot of it is going to be walking them through the process, getting them through publication so that their works can be seen as opposed to right now where a lot of people are sitting there with, you know, they've got great stories in notebooks or journals, but they just don't know how to get it out to the world. Is there a cost for that? There isn't. No, it's part of the program. I'm actually uh, volunteering my time. So oh, that's awesome. I, yeah, yeah, man. I'm given uh, 10 to 20 hours a week every week for the next six weeks. So hmm. that's yeah. really cool that like you I didn't know that, you know, about that. That's, you know, free and, you know, pretty much anybody that has a drive to do it then even more so, you know, it's not like you need money. They're not trying to collect any money or anything like that. They're literally just trying to help. Exactly. So like that's awesome. You're not, you know, 
And is there going to be a link for that once you get started to directly get to you? Um, yeah, I'll get that to you. Okay, uh, cool. For sure, man. Yeah. yeah, I'll put it in the description. So if you're listening um, or you're watching, either way, you'll be able to go right into the description and see the link right below that you'll be able to go. I'll have it under Travis Sackett Coach. Just click that link and you'll be able to go right to him and book, you know, some time over the next. When does that start? December? Uh, that actually starts this upcoming week. So, okay. Yeah. I'll make sure your episode comes out early enough so that, you know, it's whatever. Cool, so, cause I'm going to start putting these out around Thanksgiving. Oh, beautiful. Love it. Yeah. And then because Thanksgiving, that's when, you know, the other thing we're going to talk about is, uh, the relapse and overdose rates spike. <sighs> Dude, I know. It's you know. Thanksgiving's ridiculous. Like yeah. I was just looking before we talked, I was just looking at that in terms of rates and especially with opioid use too. It's just through the roof through Thanksgiving. And I think a lot of it is like you said before, man, holidays bring up, they bring up past stuff. And if we haven't worked through that, it can be an issue. It's so easy to get caught up on past shit. You didn't realize was still there and still kind of, not necessarily haunting you, but still kind of around that corner, if you know what I mean. This is when you know it's bad, is when, you know, the people that are, you know, the normies, right? The people that aren't alcoholics or addicts, when they're like, holy shit, it's Christmas time, this seasonal depression time. You know what I mean? Like, everyone is starting to feel it, you know? And it's the pressure of, you know, buying the gifts. It's the pressure of, you know, can I afford to do that and keep the lights on and keep the heat on, you know, keep food in the fridge, you know, oh, what am sure. I, it's those pressures that just life happening. It's life on life's terms. That's why, you know, it's so important to have such a solid program and continue to work the steps because life keeps happening. You exactly. know, you're, you're still going to grow resentments, even if you're sober. You know, that's why it's so important to continue to do things for yourself and for your recovery, because, you know, the the old cliche is while I'm in here, my disease is outside in a parking lot doing push ups, waiting for me to mess up. You exactly. Know? And yeah. something somebody, you know, that was really close to me, especially early on, always said was I have the choice not to use today or not get drunk today. But as soon as I do drink or use, I lose that choice. You know, and so I always keep that in mind of like when I am feeling like any kind of triggered or wanting to drink or wanting to get high, it's just like you got to be patient. This feeling is going to pass. And once it does, you're going to be much happier that you got through this. You sat in this shit. You got through it. And now you can face it next time when it happens again, inevitably. Well, exactly. Plus, you can build on those. Each one of those, I look at those as victories, man. I'm like, fuck yeah, I did it today. I got through it. Let's build off that. As opposed to if you do the opposite and you give into it, I feel like it's so much easier than to give in the next time because you just kind of get into that cycle of, okay, you think about it, you let the anxiety, you let whatever it is win, you give in, you use. Then the next time around, it's almost like you're teaching yourself that okay it's okay to give up in certain situations and i look at it the exact opposite i say fuck that don't ever give up don't let it win do whatever you have to not to and i think that's that's the difference too between early sobriety sometimes and after you have a bit of time 
because like at this point in time, I'm just not willing to make that sacrifice. Like there's, I mean, someone could hold a gun to my head and put some oxy down and say, use it, or I'm going to pull the trigger. And I say, fuck it, pull the trigger, man, because I know where this other, where this is going to lead. It's not going to work for yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah. Either way, it's going to be bad news for me. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. And I would rather have it be short and sweet than the prolonged use of what I've gone <laughs> through before. There's no way I want to do that again. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, I don't want any part of that. You know, I, I just finished Dope Sick and, you know, I was only triggered one time and it's, I don't want that anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I see people are still, you know, strung out everywhere and it's just, it's horrible to watch. And all we can do is just hope. The new statistics just came out that 100,000 people overdosed, you know, but since quarantine. Um, well, not even since quarantine. So they did the numbers from March 2019 to March 2020, 78,000 overdoses, which is astronomical. Um, and then they did the numbers from March 2020 to March 2021, and that was 100,300. So it was a 28% increase year over year, March to March. Um, and it, for the first time ever since they've tracked that data, it surpassed 100,000 people. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Now, where are you guys at in terms of quarantine? Like, for example, we're still under mask mandate here. We're the only county in Wisconsin that's still doing masks. So it's a little different for us. Like, even if, for example, when we go out for my wife's 30th, like, it's still going to be limited crowds, um, things like that as opposed to some places it's wide open right now yeah it's pretty much wide open i mean um you go into some places and there's mask mandates um but restaurants there's you don't really see any kind of limitations you know maybe some less tables yeah. but there's no kind of weird barriers up or anything like no glass up or peg you know even um the whatchamacallit gas stations have the plexiglass down now you know oh. So, yeah, that that's not really as big of a thing as it was before. It's definitely getting less and less around here, even though the numbers are still, <laughs> still yeah, the numbers where they still, are. Exactly. So you would think, you know, it is what it is. I just kind of keep to myself. I go to my meetings and, you know, going to meetings right now is important. You know, having the meetings and attending them, being present talking and contributing because you maybe you can say something in a meeting that somebody can stay sober with today with exactly and i always look at that too even like this podcast the exact same scenario man yeah something could come out of my mouth your mouth that may not even help one others but if we help someone else today that's once again that's a win so. yeah yeah somebody else that's that's why i wanted to release one a day is just to have awareness just to have the more stories that I put out, the more chance that one person can resonate with a story. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, that's, for that's, sure, man. That's the important thing is not everybody's going to resonate with me. Not everybody's going to resonate with you, but maybe tomorrow somebody's going to resonate with that person. Exactly. You know, Hands and down. that's, and I think that's what's important is trying to find, you know, ways to hold on, you know, 
a lot of the times, you know, I always think that whenever something bad happens, it's like, well, showtime. You know, this is why I have all these tools. This is why I acquire all these tools. It's almost like if I'm a professional baseball player and I'm up to the plate and it's the World Series, you know, I practiced all since February for this moment in October. You know, so like I have to go to meetings. I have to work my steps over and over. We're about to start a back to basics meeting here, which where we go through the steps every four weeks, you're done. You know, every week you go through three steps and we're about to start that up. Um, I have an old timer who's going to run it. He's got like 33 years sobriety. He wants to run it. So I'm like, yeah, you got it, man. Um, He's supposed to be on my show soon, actually. Um, But yeah, I think that's important because the more times I do that, the more times I'm building that muscle. Exactly. And I need that muscle to be ready for when the time occurs. You know, people practice karate. And the whole point of karate, you know, I've never practiced it, but from what I gather from watching movies, uh, <laughs> um, the whole point is so that you are ready if like if it happens. Yeah. You're not you're not using karate. You're not practicing karate so that you can use it as a weapon against somebody. You're practicing karate so that if something happens where you need to defend yourself, you have the tools to do that. And that's like, I understand why people get into jujitsu and mixed martial arts and all that kind of stuff when they get sober, you know, because it kind of coincides with each other of your mentality of how you got to be, you know, it was at Jason Ellis is, I think Jason Ellis is sober and he, you know, he fights, he's like an extreme sports guy and all that kind of shit. So, you know, I I think of people like him or like, even like Steve-O. where he he does like extreme shit still to this day he had to get like 11 or something was it 18 it was it was a lot it was in the teens um staples or screws in his ankle screws in his ankle and he did it in sobriety with no opioids damn he refused them all i mean he just took Tylenol. (laughs) wow man but that's that fighter's mentality i mean that's once again how much do you uh, how much are you willing to take to keep moving forward? And how much are you willing to say, I want this life as opposed to a different life? I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to because you make that commitment to yourself every day, but then you make it time and time again in each decision. And I feel like someone like Steve-O, for example, how many times did it take him to finally make that decision? Well, it's, hey, I want a different life. And now look at what he does to maintain that life. It's it's insane. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's being extremely self-aware. Oh, for sure. That's you know that's when you know you're working a program when you're extremely self-aware and you're very honest with yourself about your limitations and what he, what you can and can't do. Yep. You know, because being able to be self-aware to know where something's going to take you is so important in this. You know, last summer when I was having doctors trying to shove morphine and Xanax down my throat when I was having a lot of health problems and I was refusing them, it was getting harder and harder to refuse them, you know, because they're so adamant about it. But each time I did, I always did feel better about myself, like, okay, because I know where that's going to take me and it's not going to be good. I'm not to be responsible with those. 
you know, I don't want the even the chance to try to be. Yeah. You know, exactly. I don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the sad part about that though is like you said, you you continually had to advocate for yourself though. Like and I think for so many people that's tough because you get asked once, okay, you can give a hard no, this is why. You get asked twice, okay, once again. But all of a sudden you're on your fifth, sixth time around and the thoughts have been just wheeling in your head and you're like, well, maybe I can get on this hamster wheel. And I think that's where the medical field really does people dirty in the sense that, okay, we, we know we have some people flagged, yet we're still going to offer them these medications while they're in house. And yeah, it's, it's no secret that I was in rehab. It's in my file. Yeah, you know, it's no secret that I was in rehab for benzos and painkillers. And what are the two things that you're trying to give me right now? Literally what I was just in rehab for two years, not even two years. Yeah, it was just two years ago. I was like two years clean from pills as they were offering me this. And I was three months sober from alcohol. Yeah, kudos to you, man, for just staying strong in that situation. Because once again, that's a situation not everyone can handle. And we've seen it. I mean, look at the numbers from this year. They show you that, okay. And uh, these yeah. are the types of situations people are walking into. It's yeah. it's rough, man. It's oh, a war it affect, out there. It affected my work. This episode you know, I... is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. You know, I couldn't even go into work anymore because I was in so much pain, though, you know, and that was the problem. I was having constant panic attacks. There was something wrong with my adrenal gland and I was having constant panic attacks, even if I wasn't feeling like I was having a panic attack. I would be sitting there and all of a sudden my heart rate would spike up to like 200 beats per minute, you know, and I would just be watching cartoons, you know what I mean? Like just hanging out. Um, so it was just something wrong with my adrenal gland from my using days. I don't know. Um, but either way they were trying to, yeah, here's Xanax for all the times your heart rate spikes. Then this way you want to come to the ER. Here's morphine for the pain that comes with it. It's like, no, I don't want that. You know, yeah, and I had to keep exactly. saying, like, look at my file. Like, I can't have that kind of stuff. Like, no, no, but it's different because we're giving it to you. It's like, look at the file. You gave it to me before. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's that's how I look at mine. Like, my whole addiction started with a back injury. Yeah. Started in a doctor's office. And, I mean, I never thought I'd go down the road I did. 
But knowing that that's how it started and that's where it ended up, it's like, man, I can see that path for other people. And it's like they just lay it out for you. And there's no accountability on their end once they do it. It's just a matter of here you go. We got you set up. You're not going to feel the pain you're feeling. Yay, good for us. Now, we're not going to worry what happens to you on the backside. Now, remind remind me, um, because I can't remember if we talked about it or not. When did it change for you to now, here's your prescription, Travis, and you're taking, you know, four a day or three a day, whatever is prescribed. How long before you had to take more than prescribed? It was somewhere. Okay, so the first 30 days I rocked as prescribed. But then I re-upped for, they gave me 90 more days. And it was somewhere in that 90 days where all of a sudden the Oxy didn't have the effect that it had. And I started doubling up. And then eventually, too, to combat that drowsiness, I started crushing and then snorting on top of that. So So, it progressed extremely fast. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, and I wrote in my book, too, I had been prescribed Oxy one other time for a motorcycle accident. Like way back, it was a few years before I ever had problems with addiction. And even at that point in time, I only did 30 days. And even during that 30 days, I started to withdraw from people. I really started to develop a relationship with the drug really quickly. And I think just the way I'm wired, and it's something with Oxy, that it it works differently in my brain. And all of a sudden, I'm hooked line and sinker and yeah. that's the only thing that i can think about i'm surprised they didn't re up you the first time with the motorcycle accident yeah see i think to be real with you the doctor that i had he was our family like doctor and he was actually our next door neighbor so oh, okay what year he, was that when that happened that would have been i think 2009 so then, yeah, that's probably why he didn't re-up you then, because he knew of what was going on by then, because we just found out recently, you know, now that more and more stuff has come out from Purdue, that they were actually pushing doctors to up the milligrams all the time. You know, it only took you 30 days to create a habit to where your body needed more and more. And that was a very common thing that they found out early on in the late 90s when the drug first, you know, was administered. And their solution to that, Purdue's solution to that problem that the doctors were, you know, combating them with the first time around, the first wave of them that went through like West Virginia and Maine, um, their solution was, well, just double it. That means that they're not getting enough. If, if it's not working in the first 30 days and it's wearing off in the first 12 hours, because that's what was happening is it was wearing off. Okay, well, then double up their dose. So they just start doubling everybody's dose. Like, the 80 didn't exist the first time around. When the pills were first introduced, it was a 10 milligram, a 20, and a 40. And then the 40s were so popular, and then the whole thing happened where they had to double dosages. That they're like, well, then we'll just make an 80. And then eventually they made the 160, you know. And then the 160 got taken off the market first because that was their most, you know, the last one in the first one out kind of deal. Um, but, yeah, the 80, yeah, man, that was a very popular thing for a while. But it was all because they're like, well, just double it, double it. 
Give him more. Not enough. It's insane. When yeah. did the 30 come into play? Well, you know, the uh, so they're different because they're not Purdue, right? So, right. you know, yeah. Purdue is the one that was the original OC Oxycontin. The one, you know, that eventually turned into an OP that was a gel. That's yeah. Purdue's Oxycontin. Now, other companies make, you know, different things like oxycodone or hydrocodone or roxycodone. Yep. And roxycodone is the 30 milligram blue one gotcha. that is extremely popular on the streets as well. Like, in my opinion, the most popular on the streets ever was oxy. You know, OXY is what I'm saying if you're listening yep. oxy. But Roxy with an R is, in my opinion, the second most popular pill that's on the market that's a painkiller. Exactly. You know, like Xanax is the most popular benzo, hands down. But I think for painkillers, it was Oxy. And ever since it went away, now it's the fentanyl-laced blues. I was, I, I got clean right before they got popular. Gotcha, so, so did I. Yeah, I luckily for me, I escaped that part of opiates, you know, by the skin of my fucking teeth when it comes to when everybody started lacing, you know, the Roxy's, the yeah. blue ones with fentanyl. Um, but that's the probably the most popular pill that's around, according to what I'm reading and hearing about that people are overdosing the most with now. People aren't overdosing on the prescribed Roxy's. They're not overdosing on Oxy's. They're overdosing because fentanyl. Fentanyl, exactly. You know, um, 2020 had the entire calendar year, January to December, had 93,000 overdoses. You know, we talked earlier about the 100,000. That was from March to March. Well, January to December was 93,000, which is an astronomical number. 78 of that 93 were from fentanyl. Like, other yeah. drugs were always in their system, right? Yeah. But fentanyl was always the cause. So, 78,000 out of 93, that is an alarming number. Oh, that's disgusting. I and mean, that's, that's the ones we lost. That's not even including all the ones Narcan saved. Yeah. You know. No kidding. So, yeah. I'm sure that number is way higher if it wasn't for Narcan. Oh, exactly. I think whenever, too, you look at those numbers, it's always, okay, what's reported versus what what do we actually see? Where, where are the people, too, that it, whether it was Narcan or even by the grace of God, they survived somehow a night at a party or at home, and then they wake up and they're like, damn, did I OD? I mean, yeah. I don't know how many people I've heard that from that are like, I think I OD'd, I'm not sure. How scary is that? I mean, where you can't even tell whether or not for sure because you had no one looking after you, yep. you ventured off somewhere. Yeah. That's yeah. And, and, and speaking of fentanyl, I was reading the other day about how 30 of 50 states, Pennsylvania being one of them where I'm at, I'm not sure about Wisconsin where you are, um, it is illegal to actually have to have a fentanyl testing strip. So, like, 
you could. There's a lot of states that promote harm reduction, yeah. that are openly promoting harm reduction, that are giving addicts for free these fentanyl testing strips so that it can test their drugs to make sure it's not fentanyl that they're hurt, putting into their body. Because there are people that don't want to use fentanyl that are getting fentanyl. So what they can do is test their drug. And when they find out it's fentanyl, ditch it and not use it so that they don't die yeah. or do too much of it because they're going to die if they do. So it's so important in anybody that promotes harm reduction that they're promoting these testing strips. Well, a lot of states are saying that if you have a testing strip, we're going to arrest you for paraphernalia. Paraphernalia. Yeah, see, my cop brain was just thinking that that's yep. how they're going to rope people in on it. Paraphernalia. Because they're going to say, yup. So, um, but luckily, there are some cities that are fighting back. So, I personally know, this is how I know about it, is Philadelphia, um, the mayor in Philly is saying, no, we promote harm reduction, so we don't like that. We're not going to prosecute any of that. So the DA and the mayor are both on board together to not prosecute anybody that's been arrested for paraphernalia for having testing strips. That's beautiful, man. So that's I like that. They're like, no, we don't like that. We're not going to prosecute anybody. Don't worry. So even if it happens, just they're just doing their job, but we're not going to actually follow through with it because it's bullshit. Because it is. It is, yeah. Plus, it's it just think about that. That's just another charge, too, that can get added on that, okay, great, because that's exactly what someone needs. Let's just throw another charge on top of it, some kind of bullshit that they can use to fish and then say, oh, okay, well, we found testing strips, so now what kind of search does that lead into as well? And it's all because someone's trying to be safe. I mean, that's ridiculous to me. And Take us to your dealer and we won't t charge you for the testing strip. Right? Yeah, give us the bigger fish and uh, we'll let you go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, How I many was... times do you hear that? Oh, they definitely tried that with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That It always happens. It's it's oh, part. Of, yeah. I, th I think it's part of your script, probably. Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, <laughs> I didn't I didn't have it as part of my script, but I know plenty that did. Well, yeah, because you had a different kind of role. Yeah, where you exactly. Wouldn't have had to, you wouldn't have been encountering drug addicts yeah. in your role as a cop. So, and if you were, it wasn't because of their drugs. It was because of whatever actions they were, you know, doing or whatever. Exactly. You're usually protecting the governor, right? It was more yeah. like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yep. the only time that I really came across drugs was when I was at the Capitol with our homeless population. And a lot of the time that was more or less like you would find like spoons, you would find paraphernalia, but you wouldn't necessarily find drugs themselves because what people would do was they'd shoot up and then they come into the Capitol where it was warm and just kick it in the cafeteria and not out. And then we'd have to go interact with them, make sure, okay, is this person A still alive? Mm -hmm. And and then go from there. Um, yeah. But that was scary too, just because you'd see people that all of a sudden they'd be at a table and they'd just fall out completely. And it's yeah. like, if you were a rookie cop and you didn't know what you were looking at, that could be very daunting. For me, it was like, oh, shit, this guy's falling out. We got to get some Narcan. We got to get something rolling. Like, let's check his vitals. I mean, it was just 
what can we do to save this person? But for other officers, they just walk by and ignore that shit. They'd be like, this is a daily occurrence. We're not dealing with this. And just turn the other eye and be like, okay. Yeah, I, I saw, I remember being in Chicago one time and I walked out of my hotel to smoke a cigarette and there was a homeless dude um, and it looked like he was about to pass out. And I guess he had already called 911 or something. I don't know, because I feel like he passed out. And as soon as he did, ambulance arrived and people hopped out and started narcanning him and shit. Damn. So I have no idea what happened in that moment. I might have been a little bit high. So maybe I saw him at different times because I was Chicago was a really weird trip for me. It was like six, seven months before like I quit opiates, right? And yeah. we drove out there, my brother, my sister, her boyfriend, and um her brother. And we all drove out there for a long weekend, like a Friday through Sunday kind of thing in the fall where it's nice. And just to walk around and see Chicago. And I'm like, as a pill addict, I'm like, shit, how am I going to, like, do this? Like, yeah. I got to bring enough to get by. And because none of them do pills, you know, they, they just party. So I'm like, all right, I'll get, like, 16. Well, I'm also a drug addict. Yeah. So. 16's not enough. 16, we're gone by Friday morning. Exactly. You know, yeah. we got there Friday morning. But I got the 16 Thursday morning, and that was the problem. Oh. So when we left late Thursday and we drove straight through the night, we got there early Friday morning with some stops. I was doing a lot of the like they were gone. We got to the hotel. I did the rest. So that's why it's a little bit iffy on when I saw that dude pass out and when the cops showed up. It could have been different times of me smoking. Because, again, I was a little bit high then. But the important thing is I didn't bring any subs with me. Oh, man. I somehow got through that Friday. Well, that Friday I was pretty high. But that Saturday and that Sunday, and I drove all the way back the nine hours or whatever where I was living in PA. Um, then I drove two hours to Jersey to go get pills. But not eat, but it wasn't even until the next day. So I went like three or four days and I didn't really feel it. Wow. And at one point I even said to myself, I could probably stop now because like, I think I'm through it. Like what would be the hardest part? The first few days. Yeah, exactly. And then what happens happens is like, you get that text. Hey, how was your trip? Yup. From my dealer. Yup. I know those texts. Know all about those. And as soon as I get that text, my three days that I had and I was proud of out the window, I'm like, good, I'm actually glad you texted. You home? You around? Can I swing by? And he's like, yeah, I'm home. I'm like, all right, I'll see you in two hours because it was a two-hour ride from there. So, like, it was just that easy for me to hop back into the car and go another two. Yeah. And exactly. I, I, it was like behind me <laughs> in my head. I'm driving like this is a new day. Like, you know, like perfect. We're coming back from a nice trip. We had a great time. Nothing bad happened. I'm not withdrawing too bad. I'm through the woods of the hard part. This is amazing. And then I get the text and it's, it's a wrap. See, and I wrote about that in my book, too. Like I was trying to explain how it was because my dealer was also a weightlifting partner. 
So I saw this guy at the gym. He knew intimate stuff about my life. And honestly, he was able to use that as ammunition. So it's like when I would try to venture away, when I would try to stray, he would know just the right buttons to push to bring me right back into the thick of things. And yeah. I think I did a good job describing that as I wrote, but it's hard to try to explain a relationship with the dealer to someone outside of it, especially depending on how that relationship developed. Exactly. And I was just talking about that in my meeting I had this morning. Um, I was talking to this old timer and I was like, you know, man, it's a little bit different, you know, how we manipulate these days compared to before. I'm like, think about it. You haven't had a relationship with a drug dealer in over 30 years. So your relationship with your dude is the times that you saw him every time. Oh. My relationship with my guy was, hey, man, you good? Nah, well, what are you up to? When are you going to get, when are you going to be good? And then, hey, you watching that Flyers game? You watching? And then we have a relationship because we're texting because oh. I'm waiting for him to be good, but I'm just trying to make it seem like, I'm not just a piece of shit that only hits him up when I want something. Exactly. So I'll text him from other reasons. And next thing I know, I'm thinking to myself, well, the better the relationship I have with this guy, the more he'll feel bad for me when I'm withdrawn and be more likely to want to front me because we'll have a friendship and I won't just be another customer to him. And I, without even knowing it, I was trying to humanize myself with my dealers so that he didn't look at me as just another customer he looked at me as his friend that bought drugs from him um, exactly. you know and i i i would say it worked out to my favor only because like in a good way that i'm very grateful for the friendship i ended up getting with him and i know that sounds crazy and it sounds like i'm missing doing drugs and it's not what i mean at all is not many drug dealers would do what he did for me, which is when I called him to be like, hey, man, you know, I got to go to rehab. You know, this isn't good. I might kill myself. Like, I'm not good right now. And I know I know that I owe you $1,800, but, like, I got to go to rehab. And he, he told me, if I never hear from you again and you stay clean, you don't owe me the money. But if I find out you're using again, you owe me the money. Wow. That's unreal. I, I mean, that just doesn't. Yeah. Still haven't touched a pill. So if he, I doubt he's listening, but if he is, thank you. Still haven't touched a pill, you know? Wow. So yeah, I slipped up with drinking for a while, but you know, that meant a lot to me. Oh yeah. You know, literally and figure, <laughs> figuratively <laughs> meant a lot, you know? So it did. That's why I say it did work out in my favor because that was a huge, that's a huge relief to go into rehab with, you know, I could have felt like I was going into rehab because I went from Philadelphia to Los Angeles. So it almost feels like I'm running if I don't like squash that beef before I leave. Yeah. Plus you'd have that hanging over your head the entire time. Like it would just be there. You'd be thinking about it in the back of your head, even yeah. while you're trying to get sober which let's be real those two things conflict so hard that yeah, yeah, yeah i that... i don't want to have to i'd much rather i'd much rather have to look over my shoulders and see butters ass at the urinal you know what i mean yes. i'd much rather that be over my shoulder than that debt with that dude 
Oh, exactly. <laughs> so I'd much rather have to see that over my shoulder than have to worry about, is he looking for me? Yeah. You know, because that dude was a serious dude. You know, he didn't oh, yeah. do drugs. He sold drugs. Yep. You know, it was that kind of guy. So, like, I don't want to have to, like, have to worry about that kind of thing. So I think going into rehab with that already, that amends already kind of done was huge for me because I was able to go into it with the with also the the drive of I have to do this. I have to learn this because I don't want to have to pay that back. Oh, yeah. You know, and if I if I don't get this right, if I don't take these suggestions that they're giving to me, I could relapse <laughs> and then I could also have a two thousand dollar bill waiting for me, you know, that yeah. will show up because everybody does talk where I'm from. Okay. You know, anybody from my area who's listening, I don't know who listens that is still an active use that listens to me. You know, I put my shit up on Facebook. You know, anybody that could be friends with me from my using days could listen to this for all I know, and they're just not telling me. I don't know. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like we see those kind of numbers. Yeah. So exactly. we don't know who's listening or who's watching. Even if you hit like on my YouTube right now to on this video, I'm not going to know you hit like. I have no idea who hits like. So that's the thing is, you know, I don't know who's watching or who's listening from back in the day. And that's why I never mention names. And whenever I'm talking about somebody and they're listening, they know who I'm talking about usually. So because we all talked, that's our type of area. We're all small town. Everybody knows everybody. You know, everybody knows somebody from four towns over to in their little town of what knows what or who knows who. So, you know, that's just the way South Jersey is. So, yeah, like I have that in my head of like i definitely can't slip up because he's definitely going to find out and he'll definitely text me saying hey man found out so <laughs> i don't want to fuck around and find out i don't, no, need, I don't, I don't need to i don't need to i got too much that i enjoy doing now you know and in sobriety you find ways to find joy without drugs or alcohol well yeah and i think that's it, like to bring it full circle talking about the holidays that's the thing. You find joy in things that you probably missed before in the holidays because you were using. I mean, one of the biggest things for me is going to be seeing the little kids like over Christmas open presents, where in the past I was I was physically there for that, but I was not present. There's no way I was watching that with opened eyes. And, you know, I, I mean, I was probably half nodding off. And now I actually get to see that excitement, that joy, and I can take something away from that and and build on that throughout the day and be like, okay, that was an awesome experience. What's the next good experience I'm going to have as opposed to, okay, when's the next time I'm going to pick up? Yeah, that was the thing. Before the holidays, they were, how am I going to sneak out of this party to get high? Yep. How am I going? It's not like the memes that you see where, like, you know, the cousin, you see the cousin at the party that wants to smoke a blunt. It's not like that when it's drugs. You have to be really sneaky to find it. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you have to get deliveries while you're at a party. Like, I don't know if you ever had to do that stressful thing where you had to, like, kind of time out smoking a cigarette outside while somebody drives by to, like, drop you off drugs because you can't escape this party because it's at your house, but you need to get high. So yeah. you need to be like, I'm going out for a cigarette. Oh, don't come with me. I got to make a phone call too. 
you know, I, and I don't want you to hear the phone call. This I'm going to smoke alone this time. This way you're out there, and this way, my can they see me out the window? Am I good? Yeah. And then really, your phone call is talking to the person that's delivering you drugs, saying, and, "Hey, where you at? When you're going to be here?" Yo. Yeah. And then exactly. I'm I'm standing out there on the phone, and they're like, "Did somebody pull up to you?" Like, "Oh yeah, somebody's lost. They asked me for directions. I told them how to get out of here." And then I walk into the bathroom, and you get high. Yep. And the whole entire time you're stressed out. Did they see me? Did they see that? Did they see anything? What did, you know, you're sticking shit down your socks and you're putting up your nose. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, and I hated that shit. And, but I had to do it to get through that party. Exactly. Yep. And I was the same way. See, I was the grocery store guy. I was the guy that, okay, if you need something, I'll go get it because then I can leave. I was always that dude. Yeah, and, like, and then I, <laughs> it would always be, oh, the store was really crowded. I'm so sorry. There was such a long line, yeah. like, or it was picked over. I had to go three different places. You know, the shit you make up, but they're like, like okay, it's holiday. It's realistic. Yeah. Maybe we believe it. They're like, oh, yeah. blah, 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 needs a ride from the train station. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that, man. Yeah. It's, you know, the shit we would do, you know, in there. And that's the thing is I don't have to have those stresses anymore. No. I don't have to worry about like, oh, if I'm going to that holiday party, who can I see on the way there that it, it won't seem like I'm taking a long time? You know, I don't have to do those plan outs anymore of who can I see where, depending on where I'm going to be. And I don't have to avoid holidays or avoid the parties either. Because sometimes you just don't even show up to the party, right? If the party's not at your house, there's definitely a chance that I'm not going to show up. So, you know, that was a thing too. Like if if I don't get high enough, I can't go. But if I get too high, I can't go. I can't go, yep. You know, it's got to totally be just get to, that. Yeah. You know, and there were some times where I just forget all in general because I was too high. Let's be real. There were some Easter's <laughs> that I was through Xanax. I don't remember anything. I don't think I even showed up. Yeah, I have some Thanksgivings that I definitely miss because I was too hungover. You know that night before where you go out? I yeah, do not see? miss. I do not miss just. We used to go to Giuseppe's, you know, it's no longer there, so I can say the name. Um, but we used to go to this place, Giuseppe's, the biggest hole in the wall, dive bar, piece of shit. But, you know, we loved it. It was our hole in the wall, piece of shit, dive bar. And, yeah, we would close that place out. It was some rough nights at that place. But what oh, were you saying? What, were, what was yours? Oh, no, I was just saying, man, I had the same, I had 5,100, same place, though. Same, <laughs> you know, different cities, same place. Yeah, kind of same characters, too. Yeah. And it was just it was that was my go to. But then the next day, I remember it would be like, okay, how am I even going to survive Thanksgiving? It wasn't I wasn't looking forward to the food. I wasn't looking forward to seeing family. It was like, how the fuck am I going to get through this? Just just on the state I'm in. Can I get myself to the point where I'm at least semi presentable to even go? And if I can do that, then can I do just the right amount of drugs to be on that level that I need to be to interact with everyone? There was so much planning and so much like manipulation that went into it just to try to get through a day. And it's insane when I think about it now, because I'm like, I did that much juggling 
just to just to literally spend time in a place and i i just can't fathom it anymore to think that's what i used to do all the side trips you made real fast in between stuff you know Yo. just to like run and get something real fast and the yeah. little side trips and then the lies you have to create for why you took so long you know Yo. and just one after another after another and every holiday i can just like you know, retrospect and look back and think like, yeah, there was something shady that I had to do in order to find a way to get high that day. And so, you know, I'm glad like now I can get through the holidays, no problem. You know, I can sit through and I can be around people that are even drinking and not trigger me because now I look at that and I don't want that. I I know that I'm going to wake up hungover and if I wake up hungover, it's just going to be worse Then I'm going to want to drink again or I'm going to want to use to take the hangover away. So for me, I just play the tape out. I know where that's going to leave me. I know it's no fun anymore for me. You know, I had my fun with it. It's like for me, it's the toxic relationship that I had in my life that I don't want to go back to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So here's my question for you. What do you tell the young guy then that can't play that tape? That's only got, let's say, came into your meeting today and is like, I got one day, man. Like, what do you tell them for the upcoming holidays? Keep coming back every day. Keep talking, you know, keep talking to either me or somebody else. Find people to talk to. Go to more meetings. You know, you need support. You know, that's what's going. If you're a lonely person, there are some people who like being alone, but most people don't like being alone. Right. So that can be getting through the holidays is the loneliest time if you especially if you don't want to be alone. So if somebody came in here and was to say that it's like, well, then don't be alone. Keep coming in here and you won't be alone. You know, we are here every single day. We run meetings in the morning. We run meetings at night. That's two different chances. Plus, there's a place around the corner that does meetings every day at noon. You know, when I was early in sobriety, they said do 90 and 90. I did 250 and 90. <clears throat> I wasn't ready to be alone yet. Yep. I eventually, within six months, could. I loved being alone again. I enjoyed it. It was amazing. I it It's what I needed at the time. But early on... Being alone was not serving me. Being around people and talking to other people like me all day long is what I needed. So going to three meetings a day is what I needed. I was going to a meeting every morning. I was going to a nooner every day. I was going to an 8 o'clock every day. And I was going to an 11 o'clock every day. Sometimes I wouldn't get the morning in, and I would only go to noon. Only only go to noon, 8 p.m., and 11 Sometimes I would go to noon and 11, sometimes just 11, but I would say five, six days a week. On Saturdays, I would go to an eight. I would go to a nooner at the comedy store, um, a 7 a.m. at Marina Center, noon at the comedy store, 8 p.m. was at a CA meeting, Cocaine Anonymous, at a church. Then I would leave there at 9.30, go to Venice for the outdoor meeting at my friend Jules's house that does the art. And then I would leave there and go to a midnight, 11 o'clock meeting at Marina Center Ooh. again where I started my day. Wow. So you so, literally, you packed your day to the point where you didn't, you didn't have those times 
because you were basically you were jumping from meeting to meeting and when you weren't at a meeting i'm sure your thoughts were around what just happened at the meeting what's going to keep me sober for the next i was year. i was reading a book man i was doing the work See, i was working with my go. sponsor i was walking everywhere i wasn't i didn't drive i was walking so i was processing a lot um i was treating my addiction i was treating my recovery the way i treated my addiction right nope. So I wanted to be in recovery. That's why I went to LA. You know, I wanted that. Nobody forced me to go there. I was done. You know, it had been 10 years with pills. I was just done, man. So I was taking suggestions. And within the first couple of weeks, someone said, you have to want this as bad as you wanted your pill. And when you treat it the same way, you're going to get the same effect. You got the pill every day. You're going to get sober every day. So every time you're feeling like you want that pill, hit a meeting. So when I got into cool. sober living, you know, I was in the, you know, residential 29 days where they take you everywhere. And I only went to two meetings a day because they were taking me to noon and 8 p.m. But I got into sober living and I could go to more meetings and I could just take myself there. And they gave me permission to break curfew every day to go to the 11 o'clock because they knew how important the midnight meeting was to me. And my sponsor was there at every meeting with me and took me home every night. So they trusted me to go to that. Um, so I was lucky with that. Um, but yeah, that, that was huge for me going to those four meetings a day, three meetings a day. That was important to me, man. And switching it up too, and finding different groups. Cause not all the groups are the same. You know, there's the same people in the same groups, but you go to different groups to find different people to maybe find somebody else you're going to resonate with. Oh, exactly. You know? So, like, I had little different cliques all over L.A. that I would go hang out with all the time just as a way to, like, have new people and new fresh faces to talk to all the time. So, but I was chasing my recovery as, as much as I chased my addiction. And that shit changes your life when you put that oh, kind yeah. of focus into something it pays off, but you have oh, to be, sure. you have to be patient and just know that it's going to work as long as you want it to work and not need it to work. Cause there's a difference between the wanting it and the needing it. Oh, hands down. I think like the needing it, I look at that, like when I had to be sober for court, for example, I needed it at that point in time, but I wasn't fully committed. It was like, I'm committed for this short time period, but in the back of my mind, I was always looking down the road saying, okay, once this is over, then I can go back. And where it switched was after the head injury for me, I realized, okay, now my brain doesn't function the way I want it to on a normal day necessarily. So it's for me to put chemicals on top of that just does not, I, yeah. I don't even know what I'd be getting myself into. And it scares the shit out of me because I know on a bad day, for example, like when I, cognitively I'm really not hitting where I need to, I know what that feels like, but I don't know what that feels like with medication on top of it. And I don't want to know because it's, it's such a slippery slope to begin with that yeah. all of a sudden to try to go down that path, it just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and you and you and you had the TBI on top of that. Yeah, like that's yeah, something that, exactly. That's not going away. No. So that's something that's going to constantly also be, you know, that that you're living with, not battling, but living with. Yeah. So, but you know, I appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me again, Travis. Oh, of course, you know, man. It's always Thank nice you. talking. 
So, and I'll make sure to have the links in the description again, and I'll have the link for your book, My Life with Karma. Well, what's it like, ten bucks right now? Um, it's so the ebook is ninety nine cents. I'm really oh, okay. trying to uh, make it accessible for everyone, and then the paperback is fourteen ninety nine. Okay, cool. So, yeah, yep. and that that will be on Amazon. So the yeah. link for that Amazon for that book, um, it's a great book. I have it. Thank you. He sent it out to me. Um, that's going to be at the bottom. Also the link, if you want to be coached, if you're looking to write something that's going to be at the bottom as well. So just go and check that out if you're interested in that. And thanks again, man. It's always nice yeah, talking thank to you. you Chad. Hey, JD, so, always a pleasure, man. Thank yep. you. Have a good day, buddy. Right. You too. Take All it right. easy. See you later. See you.